I only know one way. That's the Padre way. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. Wind waiting to pitch. There's a drive. Right center field. Base hit. And there it is. Oh, Doctor. You can hang a star on that, baby. A star for the ages for Tony Gwynn. Number 3,000. Broadcasting from America's finest digital studios, this is the 5.5 Podcast. Today, the guys will talk about the thrilling first half of the season. They'll tell you what they expect from the second half. And Preller signed like 5,000 kids from Venezuela. Here are your hosts, Danny Ortiz and Eric LeBou. And welcome back, everybody, to the 5.5 Podcast Episode 20. We've made it, Eric. Episode 20. Yeah, we're there. Episode 20. All right. That is my favorite number. I can't believe we've made it this far. Uh, again, I am your host, Danny Ortiz, alongside my best friend, Eric Labou, and we are back for yet another go. We took a week off last week. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about. No, not a whole lot. Scheduling some crap. You know, my jury duty kind of messed with the work schedule, uh, but I am done. Justice has been served, and we are back ready to go. Are you allowed to go over the case, like, briefly, just to give listeners an interesting because you told me last week once you got done uh what happened once you were outside of the uh, legal window to discuss it's some pretty interesting stuff you want to do a quick rundown of it real quick i don't think i can fully i don't think i can fully go over it quite yet it's almost like a movie (laughs) yeah yeah i'm not i'm not sure that i can so we'll we'll just say hypothetically carjacking at, at gunpoint hypothetically and another one if there was a a hypothetical hammer that may or may not have struck a father's head, then that could have been or could not have been a couple cases I looked at. Oh my god! Uh, recently. Oh my god! In my experience. Yes, in my experience. So, and what should or could have happened? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, but yeah, we took a week off. Not a lot going on. Hope everybody had a happy holiday. You know what sucked is that we typically record Wednesdays to release Thursdays. A lot of stuff happened after we would have recorded, like uh, Dave Roberts' uh, You and Me Gate, which yeah. was pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting. You know, the whole thing, I don't get why Andrew Green got fined. I don't get why he got thrown out of the game. Yeah. And I don't get why people are calling him soft. It's like, what did you want him to do? As soon as he got pushed, the umpire stepped in front of him. Yeah. He didn't look like he was ready to take any shit. They keep playing it. And I'm like, he looked like he was like, what did you, why, did you just put your hands on me? And then the umpire stepped in front of him and started walking him back. And then threw him out, which made no sense to me. Yeah. You know, it's, everyone was saying, hey, this guy's soft. This guy's Charmin. After the whole, uh, after the whole Rizzo thing. Which, who, who was saying that? Some guy at, at Miserable SD fan was saying that on Twitter a lot. That was me. Yeah. So they were calling him soft after the Rizzo thing, which I was I was calling him soft too because I think it I think it was horseshit. But anyways, with this thing, how do you call him soft in this? Because you're right, he was walking away, and as he's walking away with the couple umpires in between him, Roberts comes up, gives him this half shove, and by the way, as soon as he made contact with Green, he turns around and starts walking away quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> like at that point, what do you want Green to do? You want to hit? You want him to hit the ump with the stunner? Yeah. Hit the other one with the rock bottom, and then just go spear Roberts? Like what is he? supposed to do? He had no shot because he'd have to make contact with the umpires. Yeah, I don't understand why Andy Green was even... Number one, I don't understand why 
uh, Alex Wood wasn't ejected for blatantly saying to an un, an unassuming Jose Perella yeah. that he was going to plunk him. Yeah. So I don't know why he wasn't ejected because the umpire apparently, according to Green, told him this is what he said. Yeah. Like this is what he said. I heard him say this, and this is verbatim. So I don't know why Wood wasn't ejected. I don't know why Roberts wasn't ejected and suspended for more than a game. Not just because of that, but I mean for making contact with another manager, which is unprecedented. What's the last time you heard that? I don't think Earl Weaver pushed anybody in his heyday, and yeah. he's about the feistiest guy you could find. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why Andy Green was attacked in any way, shape, or form in this. Like it's that that's not his fault. The Rizzo thing is different. For this, it's like he was pushed from behind, cowardly act, and then he was bombarded by umpires and then thrown out of the game for no reason. Yeah, I think my favorite part in all of it is when Wood turns around and starts yelling at Perella. Perella just like kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, Que? <laughs> yeah, no, no say, hombre. <laughs> no entiendo nada. Yeah. Like he doesn't know what the hell he's saying. Yeah, no Nintendo nada. Yeah. So after the game, Myers was saying, I guess, or. Myers seems like the most lax guy. Or Bump Garner yelling at him last year, and he's like, "Huh, what, bro?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was saying something about how you know they're not going to tolerate their their players getting punked anymore. I'm like, "Well, it's about fucking time." Yes, too little, too late, pal. Yeah, it's about time, guys. So yeah. we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Just as soon as somebody mentions anything about Will Myers' salad under that helmet, I'm sure he'll get frustrated. Yeah. Uh, but uh, moving on, the Padres, they won today. Uh, they're now, I believe, 36-48. and 48. They've taken two from Cleveland. That clinches the series. Uh, Hunter Renfro threw Jose Ramirez out by about 45 feet. Yeah. If, you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's embarrassingly bad yeah. on the other end of it. But uh, good job on Renfro. But um, at this point, they're doing about as bad as we expected. I think they're the third worst team in the league. I think only the Phillies and the Giants have a worse record uh, league-wide. I definitely National League, but I think league-wide. That's uh, correct. Yeah, so most other teams I think are closer to 500 than the Padres. Um, so if the Giants weren't ruining things, the Padres would be second to last, which is, I think, what they're shooting for anyways. But so far, so good, I think, in a hashtag Team Tank. Yeah, and if anyone, I guarantee that no one has listened to our first few episodes because back in the good old day, we had about 11 listens per week. Yeah, I also dropped about... 40 so, F-bombs the first episode? Yeah, quite a bit. So I, I made it very clear that I hated the on-pace guy. I hated him so much. But that's more so for, like, the first two weeks of the season. So let's say someone comes out and hits five home runs in the first week. Oh, he's on pace for 80 homers. That's <laughs> yeah. stupid. Yeah. But we're about halfway through. So I think you can take a look at this and say, okay, so this is how they perform the first half. It's bound to be somewhere near this the second half. I think you can kind of take a guess for that. So they're on pace for about 70 wins right around there, which I want 100 losses. As if, if we're going to lose, go all out. I want 100 losses. But up till this point, I mean, there's been some, there's been some good points, um, like the Cubs sweep. That was pretty cool. But And it's kind of funny because you're rooting, again, you're rooting for losses, but you you want to be entertained yeah. at the same time. So it's kind of a catch-22. It's not really... Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not off. I mean, right now they're pacing for 69 wins. Now, granted, they have some high-value relievers. I know you're not a big fan of war, but Kirby Yates and Brad Hand are pretty valuable relievers. One of those guys ain't going to be here in about two weeks. I, his name is Brad Hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Yates might get traded, too. I think he yeah. might be a... I don't think they'll get much for him, but... No, but somebody will give up something. Yeah. You know, some 17-year-old in the Dominican Summer League. Yeah. <laughs> 
will come over. But, you know, I, right now I think, you know, they're on pace for 69 wins. They've been about that. I think uh, the last time we paced them was at the end of April, and they were on. They were about 65. And I think that's what they are, about a 65-win team. So I think once they start dealing, guys, I can't see Chassin being here longer because uh, teams need some, inning, uh, some innings eaters. I cannot see Cahill being here longer. And then Brad Hand obviously is probably going to go. They might deal Yates or Stammen, who's done fairly well yeah. after a rough start. They, yeah, they were saying in his first three outings he gave up 10 runs. Yeah. But since then, he's only given up a total of 13 runs. Yeah, he's been really good. We were really hard on him, but he's actually been really effective. So these are guys who are probably going to go. It's going to deplete the bullpen. They don't have a lot of depth. I mean, Maurer hasn't been very good. Uh, Maton's been amazing. I think yeah. he struck out the first three guys he faced today. I don't think he's given up a run yet. I, I may be off on this, but I think I heard the other day he hadn't given up a run all year. I'd have to look it up. I know Tony Gwynn Jr. was in the booth with uh, Leitner uh, this afternoon and was saying, like, he's only coming in at 92-93, but he's just blowing it by these guys. Spin rate, baby. Yeah, spin rate. Uh, also, before we forget, Brad Hand, all-star. Yay. Yeah. Oh, Congrats. God. That was, Yay. It would have been nice if, like, we had a position player. <laughs> position player. Well, Will Myers, his war isn't good enough, bro. Uh, Will Myers even said he doesn't feel he's very deserving this year, so. Yeah, and he's not. No, he's not. There's there's too many good first basemen. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. We'll we'll stay away from there. But, uh, yeah, no, I can see them uh, in the second half. I'm expecting them to trade quite a bit of the current roster. I think three of their starting pitchers right now are gone. Brad Hand's gone. There's four guys. They might even move Bookter. Yeah. I mean, who knows? And Bookter's been – he's kind of been unheralded because Hand's been so good, but he's been solid. Um, And it's not like Maurer's, like, lights out in the bullpen. He's been pretty – I mean, his, his you know numbers in terms of what you'd expect based on walks, strikeouts, he doesn't give up a lot of homers. He should probably be a little bit better. But he's got a 5-plus ERA. Yeah. And, I mean, relievers have so little room for error. But, um, yeah, I, see, I can see this team maybe right now, yeah, they might get 69 wins. I could see them uh, getting closer to 60-65 uh, wins after they trade off a, a number of pieces that people are going to want. That's exactly what I was thinking, too, because the first half they had these you know, these guys, and when you trade those bullpen pieces especially, let's face it, our rotation isn't really going to keep us in that many games anyways, and the rare occasion that they do keep us in the games going forward, they, we're not going to have that bullpen there to hold it once these guys yeah. start getting traded. So they, they could have a lot of losses coming up on the schedule for the second half. Yeah, I actually see uh, Jared Weaver coming back after the break once they deal some. they got to put somebody in there. Yeah. Uh, Lamette has been up and down. Perdomo, he's had a good start. He's actually been turning around lately. But You think Weaver's going to come back? And Will Weaver start another game for the Padres? I think so, and this is why. They're probably going to trade. I mean, I'm... 100% certain they're going to trade Chassin. I There's no shot that he's going to be, somebody's going to give up something decent to plug him in at the back of the rotation to eat up five or six innings every fifth day. Yeah. I can see somebody doing that for Richard. And I can see definitely somebody doing it for Cahill. But Richard's a team leader, bro, in the locker room, I in don't, the clubhouse. I don't believe in that malarkey. Do you ever notice that uh, Team chemistry only exists when you're winning. <laughs> yeah, but Clayton Richard just bought him like these uh, sick basketball warm-ups for their trip to Cleveland. Yeah, I wanted to see what those look like, and uh, I never saw them. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's cool and all that. But at the end of the day, who cares? Go away. But um, I, I just see their rotation being so depleted. They don't have a lot in the system. I was talking to our good friend uh, uh, at Mad Friars, Kevin Charity, the other day. And he's thinking that uh, Michael Kelly is probably going to come up at some point as, like, reinforcements. But that's really all they have. He mentioned another guy uh, that I don't remember the name of in the minors that's not really heralded, but that could come up. Was it Kyle Lloyd? 
It may have been Kyle Lloyd. You I might think be right. he's the one that tossed a no hitter earlier. Really? In the year. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So he's another guy that can come up. They have Walker Lockett. I mean, they've got these guys who are at best maybe five starters. I mean, the only you know number five guys. The only guy they had in the system that had any ceiling was Lament. He's already up. So I could see Weaver coming in and just saying, you know, them just saying to hell with it. We need somebody to go out there, so we'll just run him out there and then see how these other young guys do because they got to get pitching somewhere. Yeah. I mean, they had Dylan Overton, and he was awful. Oh boy, <laughs> he was awful. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite the experiment. Yeah, at least he was wearing some cool socks. Yeah, his socks were pretty neat. I'll give him that. Yeah, the Fourth of July get up was really good. Yeah. I want to throw that at you real quick because there's all this uniform talk. I like the red, white, and blue Padre colors, like the old, the original PCL colors when they wore the the stars and stripes stuff with the blue hat, uh, with the uh, red bill and the blue brim, and then the. Uh, Padres was blue, obviously, but it had the red border. It had the stars and stripes in there. Just eliminate the stars? What do you think if they actually went to that full-time? Just red, white, and blue. I'll never say no to red, white, and blue, <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> so here's my thing with, with uniforms, and we can go off on uniforms for a couple minutes. Um, everyone, 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 it seems like everyone, wants to bring back the brown. Just make the Friday unis the norm. Well, that's what everyone – so here's the thing. I'm – my, I'm more partial towards the 98 unis. They the 98 stupid. pinstripes are my favorite uniforms for the Far and away. ever. Ever. So the blue and orange is my personal favorite. I don't know about you. I think you've said before that it's up there for sure. Yeah, it's definitely that whole scheme. The road jerseys from that era plus the blue alternates plus the uh, pinstripes. Like those yeah. those three uh, uniforms are all my favorite. Yeah, so that's my, that's my personal favorite. And that's what I really want them to bring back. But I feel like brown and bringing back the brown has more of more of a, a following and more momentum behind that to where I'm on board. I'll back that and I'll support that because anything that gets us out of this current bullshit. Like every other year having a different variation of a bland blue and white like we can't keep doing this, dude. It's I loved pathetic. last year's jersey. I wore my uh, I wore my uh, jersey from last year to work the other day, the uh, dark blue and the yellow. And you get compliments on it. People love the color scheme. They just didn't stick with it for some dumb reason. Yeah. Because it looked different. That's the reason why I like the pinstripes. But that's why I like them because they look different. The font is different. It's not generic. It's it's specific to the Padres, but. That's why I can see why people are jumping on the brown because the brown and gold is complete. No team wears brown. I mean, who has brown other than when they do the camo jerseys, which is actually what the Padres started the whole camo thing too. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, I would prefer the 98. They just go to the 98 eras because that's when I got into baseball and when I got into the Padres, that's what they're wearing. That's when they had their most success. Was, you know, 98 was probably the best year in franchise history. So yeah, I could though get behind the brown because it is very unique. Um, and it just looks classy when they wear it. It's just like a, it, it has like a certain pop to it, the gold on top of that brown. Classy. Yeah, it looks it's clean. It's a clean jersey. Yeah. And we've seen those mock-ups on that. So whoever's on Twitter, whoever you are, thank you. Those mock-ups that guy did oh, with yeah. all the different pinstripes and the orange and the brown. Oh, it looks so good. Badass. But yeah, to answer your question, I would be fully on board with some sort of red, white, and blue color scheme. Yeah. But knowing the Padres, they would fuck it up somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would. They would completely ruin <laughs> they it. They would ruin it. But yes, I would be on board for that. Yeah. So, uh, other things to look for, or one of the things we've had to uh, enjoy so far this season. It's been a rough year. Let's be honest. It's been, it's some really boring baseball being played. Pretty bad. Yeah, really bad. But we expected that. Uh, but the good stuff. Brad Hand. We've already mentioned he's going to be the All Star rep. Yay. Uh, but he's had a really good season. He's got a two four two ERA, uh, fifty six strikeouts in forty four innings. Uh, the guy we'd already mentioned that's just been absolutely dominant is Kirby Yates. 
two even ERA, so two earned run average. He struck out 42 and 27, so he's thrown less innings in hand uh, by almost 20, but he's only got 12 less Ks. I mean, he's just been yeah. dominant. They picked. He's a Brad Hand type. They picked him up off the scrap heap. He was DFA'd by uh, uh, the Angels, yeah. Anaheim. And uh, who needs pitching? I mean, they're trying to compete. Yeah. And the Padres picked him up for nothing, and he's just come in and just been absolutely dominant. I wonder, I want to go back and look to see what he throws, because I wonder if they went with the same thing they've been doing with, that they did with Pomeranz, they did it with Hand, they've done it with Chassin, and maybe they're doing it with Yates, where they're like, you're a two-pitch guy. Throw a fastball and throw your slider or throw whatever your breaking ball is. And that's what they did with Pomeranz. You're throwing cutters and curveballs. And Chassin in hand, fastball sliders. So I wonder if they went to the same approach with Kirby Yates and said, hey, you got a pretty decent breaking ball. Why don't you just throw that all the time? Could be. Yeah. It's a smart approach for sure. I mean, if, you, if that's what you're good at, why do anything else? Yeah. And we've seen, you know, Chassin, I mean, I know he's had a couple of, he's had a handful of like, maybe not a handful, but he's had some really rough starts. But for the most part, I feel like he goes out there and he competes. Yeah. So, uh, the other good news, Jared Weaver's been MIA since he went on the DL. So that's been good because we haven't seen or heard from him in forever. What have they lost? Like all nine of his starts? Yeah, they Something didn't win like any. He pitched. He had one start where he kept a minute, uh, and that was against uh, the White Sox, yeah. which was his second to last start, I believe. Yeah. Because uh, then he had the Diamondbacks start, and that was just awful. He had the Diamondbacks start, and I think he did one after that, and then that was it. I feel like I feel like Weaver has been everything that we expected him to be. Yeah. Like, there's no surprises whatsoever. Oh, no, no, then some, because I thought he'd put up a 5 ERA. If I, if, next I look, I think he's cost the Padres about a game and a half based on his overall production. Yeah. He's been really bad. Yeah. Well, far worse than I could have ever hoped for. He's pitching his way into a front office job. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Well, you know, every time uh, somebody comes... To the Padres to die, they just get a coaching gig. So maybe he'll be That's like a bullpen saying, coach, dude. like Kotze was the hitting coach. Mark Pryor, he's coming for your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's gonna work his way up. He's coming for your job. Also, before I forget about this, so we want—I want to take our fans behind the scenes. Um, every for whatever reason, this last couple weeks when we uh, when we were recording our episode here on our amazing recording device, for some reason it just craps out on us. So it stops recording, and we have to pick up where we left off on a brand new recording. So what I want to offer to our listeners is if anyone can, if, I mean, I don't if even, it happens, if it happens, we'll tell you if it happens. No, we won't tell you if it happens, oh. but it might not happen. But if you can find where the two recordings have been spliced together, I will Venmo you $13.50. That is one beer at Petco Park on me. Oh, if you can figure say, it out. Why thirteen dollars and fifty cents? <laughs> <laughs> I will Venmo you thirteen fifty if you can figure it out. Well, so. we, yeah. What we also want to do is uh, we're going to start doing this. Uh, we tried it last week. We didn't get the uh, the best questions. We had one guy asking us about Dodgers. Yeah. So that's uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, the but, other guy asked about you coming out of the closet. Well, no, I think it was me coming to America and oh. us coming out of the closet. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, so we, we do want to start throwing stuff out there on Twitter. If anybody has any questions, or you just want to ask us, like, or ask us to talk about something, or if you want right? to talk shit about someone else on Twitter, yeah, hey, you're more than welcome to do that. We'd be happy to share your stories. Try to keep it PG thirteen. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no, nothing. Don't hold anything back. We we want to hear from you. We'll give it a shout out. Yeah. We, may, we may not repeat it verbatim. Uh, please do not continually ask us if you could be on the show. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I. I know everybody wants to get on 
the show. We're starting to gain some traction now that we're big time, but uh, nobody wants to hear us babbling with our buddies. Eric and I do enough rambling as friends as it is, so uh, just big time guests. Yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, just big time guests only, bro. Yeah. Moving on with people doing well. Uh, Trevor Cahill finally came back. Uh, I think he only gave up a run, uh, even though he got pulled a little early, but Overall, he's been great. He's only thrown 45 and two-thirds innings. So, I mean, that's if he's averaging six starts, that's about just shy of uh, eight starts uh, or six innings of starts. He's just shy of, uh, what, eight starts, I think he's around. But he's doing well, 2.96 ERA. Uh, that's 45% better than the league average in terms of run prevention, which is stellar. 55 strikeouts in 45 and two-thirds. I don't know where strikeout machine Trevor Cahill came from, yeah. but I think he's averaging over 10 per nine. Yeah, that's to me, that's the, the most tragic part of the first half that he went down with, with for his injury. For so long. Yeah, Oh well, he just went on the 10-day DL, but he was out for, what, 45 days? <laughs> yeah. He was out forever, dude. <laughs> so that was the worst part because he was pitching so well, and then he just mysteriously went on the DL, and we never heard from him, and he finally came back and pitched well uh, yeah. in Cleveland. So. I hope he keeps up the next few starts because I think he's a goner for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you and I were talking off air uh, because we like to plan what we talk about before we jump on here. But uh, we were talking how he might have three or four starts left this month to showcase himself. Worst case scenario, he's an August deadline pickup. Yeah. So somebody, some team could, you know, if they start to make a push, can say, hey, you know what? It's coming up September. We're going to make a run. we got to get a guy to get him on the roster to be playoff eligible. We'll go ahead and make a trade in August to try to get something done. So, yeah, I think he's going to get moved. It's just a matter of is the team is is the better deal waiting in July where there's going to be more in the sweepstakes, or is the team going to get desperate after July he clears waivers or even gets claimed on waivers and they could make a deal at that point. But I do definitely think he's their most valuable commodity uh, arm-wise. Uh, in terms of uh, the young guys coming up, I've got to say, so far for the Padres, their rookie of the year is Manny Margot. Yeah. I mean, he's just having an absolutely stellar year. Defense has been a little hit or miss, but, again, it's early. Advanced metrics go out the window when it's this early. He's looked great out there for the most part. Uh, looks great on the bases, but he's hitting 280, 328 on base. 422 slugging. I don't think you can ask for any more from him. I certainly could. Especially for a rookie year. And he's like, what, 21? Yeah, he's like 21, maybe 22 years old. And to play at the major league level at that age and to Premium be, position, too. Yeah, premium. It's, it's not like he's playing left. Yeah, exactly. And and to put up those numbers, man, I would take that if he was three years into the league. That's what I. Like, I'd be happy about that. But yeah. As as would I. I think he's he's putting up good numbers. I'm surprised at the slugging percentage. 422 isn't great. I'd like to see it closer to 450, but I didn't expect him to be anything more than like a punch and Judy contact here. Kind of like what Spangenberg is. Yeah. Or a Swahe, excuse me. Swahe's probably even a better fit where, you know, just kind of line drives and everything. Just tracking the balls with his eyes and slapping the ball around the field. Uh, Margot actually has a little bit of punch, so I, I, I figured it would develop as time would go on. But I didn't think it would be developed as quickly. I didn't expect him to slug uh, that that quote-unquote deep into the 400s. 422 slugging is pretty solid. He's been very impressive to this point. Yeah, and by the way, side note, I have liked what I've seen from Oswahe since he's been called up. Yeah, since so. he, he struggled a little bit at the start. He didn't get a lot of playing time last no. year. I feel like Renfro got most of it. Yeah. Um, but he's since they plugged him in at second, uh, which Salarte's freaking hurt, but I do think that 
him at second, Spanj at third, is going to be their pretty much everyday infield going forward once the trades are made and the deadline's passed. Yeah. He's looked pretty well. Where's he at right now? Well, I don't have his numbers up right now, but I'm looking at Margot. So, oh. yeah, Margot, this, the slugging, you know, so-so. Solid. Um, the on-base is, uh, what, right around league average? Solid. My main gripe with him, he doesn't have – he has nine stolen bases. So he has nine stolen bases. He's been caught six times. Oof. So that's not that's not really all too great. But again, he's a rookie, so we gotta keep that in mind. Um, yeah, five homers. Um, so he's on pace for what ten homers? Ten. He might hit ten homers. Where is doubles at? Uh, he for doubles, he only has nine. So. But well, we also think he missed like a month. Yeah, he did. I mean, he missed a month. He and- did. He did miss an extended period of time too. So. Um, yeah, Manny Margot, I've been happy with him. What do you think about Renfro so far? You know what? Renfro's kind of hit or miss. He's actually been the... C-streaky. Uh, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, he has been the definition of replacement-level player in that he's not doing anything to overly help the team win, but he's also not doing anything to kill him. As Eric... <laughs> This is exactly what I was doing. I wasn't going to say war because <laughs> my theory on advanced metrics when I present it to my wonderful audience is I'm not going to bog you down by saying crap like weighted runs created plus or OPS plus. And WOBA. WOBA, yeah. I know what they are and I do will reference them, but in a way that everybody can kind of get it when I say like percentage above or below league average because I think that sounds better. <laughs> but I had looked up Renfro when I was doing the outline for the show uh, this evening uh, as we recorded on a Wednesday night, and I saw that his war was zero. So I thought to myself, how can I present this in a way that everybody can understand in layman's terms? And I thought, he is the prime example of a replacement level player. Yeah. He doesn't. He's not doing anything to kill the Padres, but he's also not really doing anything to help them. He's just kind of there. He's just holding a spot down. Uh, but he hasn't been terrible. I mean, he's got a ton of power. I mean, just a shit ton of pop. What's he slugging? Four fifty some odd. Four fifty five. That was pretty close, dude. He's two eighty nine on, on base. He's on yeah two eighty nine on base. He's on pace for about thirty homers and about about thirty homers, about thirty doubles. And the thing with him is that I do think. Also, keep in mind, he's a rookie. Yeah, he is a rookie. He had the one month where he drew a lot of walks. I don't know if that was something that was a conscious effort or maybe it was a fluke, but he's not killing him. I mean, I would like to see him be better, but to this point, he's he can only get better assuming he continues to develop. He has made some errant throws in the outfield. I do think that he's going to get better as time he's goes on. He's also made some great throws. Yeah, like I said earlier, he's, he's hosed some people pretty, pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's made them look pretty bad, but... As time goes on, I do think that, you know, especially the second half, that's when I really like to watch rookies. I mean, just not just Renfro, just rookies in general. I remember when the Padres picked up Maven from the Marlins. I said, you know, we had conversations then. You know, to me, the second half is going to be the most telling for him because the first half you're making adjustments. You're going around the league the first time through. You know, you're kind of going through the peaks and valleys of a rookie. And then you get that nice little week off for the All-Star break. And then you come back, you're recharged, you know, hopefully you've been working on things. So I'm really looking forward to the second half for a lot of guys, especially Renfro, because I think Margot has pretty much established himself as, yeah, we like this guy, but I, I want to see what Renfro's going to do the second half. Well, here's something that's interesting on Renfro as I'm looking at his stats. So last year in El Paso, he played 133 games. Through this year, he's at 81 games for the Padres, the Major League Club. He's drawn the same amount of walks in both time frames at 22. So he is walking at a higher rate this year at a higher level than he did last year. Yeah. So I'll take it. I will too. And I mean, there has been progress there. I I do think that 
Play discipline has been tracked. The, the guys at Fangraphs did a good job looking all this obscure stuff up. But as players get older, it does trend that they draw more walks and they learn play discipline as they get a little bit older. So hopefully Zinter is in his head and talking to him about that and trying to take more pitches. He does at times look more patient. Other times he looks depressed. But I do think the second half is going to be very telling because to me, Renfro has every bit of offensive ability as Will Myers. I think he has more prolific ability than Will Myers. I think he's got way more pop than Myers. Myers can hit, but I think Renfro has more light tower power. Maybe he won't be as refined of a hitter, but I do think he can put up what Myers is doing now, which isn't overly impressive, 320 on base, 450 or so slugging. So I do think that's doable for him. And he's not awful. He's about a league average hitter. So he's not doing terrible. I also like how it seems like they have a competition going with each other. Yeah. Because after Renfro hit a homer the other day when Scanlon was interviewing him, he goes, yeah, well, I didn't want uh, Will to jump out to that big lead. <laughs> so I figured I had to catch up with him. Yeah. So I, I like how they have that competition going. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask your thoughts on is um, the Rule 5 draftees. So three uh, three of them, all of them still in the roster about halfway through the season. You have uh, Terenz, the catcher. You have Miguel Diaz, the pitcher, and Alan Cordoba. So what, what do you think so far about those guys? You know, Cordoba held his own for a little while, and then because of uh, – I mean, I, I think overall – I'm happy with what they've had so far, given the lack of experience and the, I think, a little bit overexposure. Obviously, Diaz got hurt in his start. I think that was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. Um, but uh, for Cordoba, yeah, I really like what I, I mean, the fact that he's still doing what he's doing is, is great, um, all things considered. Uh, but uh, I think he's been a little bit overexposed lately, and I think you can see that he's been starting to ride the pine a little bit more as of late. Um, just because, I mean, you're, you're asking a kid who's never been past, you know, short season ball to, to go out there and play Major League Baseball. Uh, Torrens has been pretty pretty rough. He is starting to kind of, it looks like he's getting a little bit more comfortable to play, making some contact. But, I mean, overall, I didn't expect anything out of any of them. The only guy I was really excited for was Cordoba, and he's far exceeded anybody's expectations. So, yeah. I'd say for now, I mean, it's 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 got to be a win. They took three guys, and one of them, Surely looks like he could pan out. Yeah, I think I was going to say that Cordoba is the guy that I would be upset if if we got rid of him or if he went back to the Cardinals. But the other two guys, if for whatever reason they're not with the organization anymore, I'm not going to lose any sleep over. Yeah, and if I had to go like you know put them in kind of like a ranking, Cordoba I think is a priority to keep. I'd like to keep Diaz because I do think there's some there's some upside there. Obviously, Torrens I'm whatever on. I like Hector Sanchez as a backup. He just has no long term value, but. You know, if Hedges is going to be your guy, Torrens is nice to have in the system. I think they're just trying to get him in there so they can keep him and then put him back in the minors next year. I mean, they're playing him quite a bit. He plays a hell of a lot more than I ever thought he was going to play. Yeah. Um, but he's whatever. I, I, I like the possible potential for him. But to me, it's a win because you took three guys and Cordoba is clearly panning out in some way, shape, or form. And they obviously trust him. They give him a lot of looks. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think all all three of those guys, if they stick with the club through the rest of this year, next year they're going right down into the minors, which, by the way, is extremely stacked. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll that'll bring us to uh, moving into our uh, farm system segment here. We're just going to keep moving right on through uh, with a lot to talk about. Uh, 
a guy that kind of it was kind of an under the radar signing because Morahone and Onya signed for so much money. Uh, Morahone costing eleven million times two. Yeah. So the Padres paying twenty two million, but they picked up another kid who looks like he could be every bit as good, if not better, than Morahone and maybe even Espinosa, just based on stuff. Uh, a kid named and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Mikel Baez. Yeah. He is six foot. Uh, let's see here. I had it somewhere. I think eight. he's around six eight. Yeah. He throws ninety. 93 to 95 sitting. He is 18 years old. Yeah. 18. Stud. Now, he for, signed for about $3 million, So yeah. with the tax, we're paying about $6 million for this guy. Yeah, so a pretty decent chunk of change, but nothing you know out of the ordinary for like a top uh, July 2 uh, you know, Latin American prospect. So nothing out of the ordinary. Maybe kind of on the tame side. Uh, but just looking at video, it's funny because you mentioned yesterday that he started uh, his first start in Fort Wayne. Yeah, I was actually prepping for the podcast, getting some info, went on to Fangraphs, checked out uh, their prospect guy, Aaron uh, Loggenhagen's chat, and somebody had asked him, asked him about Miguel, uh, or uh, Mikel Baez, excuse me, um, and he had mentioned some stuff about him, you know, here's what he had from a scouting standpoint. For a guy who's six foot eight, he repeats his delivery incredibly well. Sits ninety three to ninety five. Described his curveball as a hammer, and you know, and, and could have some possible secondary stuff. Also said probably not verbatim, but probably too good for the rookie ball league in Arizona. Needs to be moved to an affiliate. Uh, so as soon as he said that, somebody has said, "Oh, by the way." Baez moved to Fort Wayne, which he started <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Eric's going to pull up that stat line. Yeah, five innings, two hits, no walks, nine strikeouts. Now, in total, and, and, and again, rookie ball just started. He's gone 10 innings and struck out 16 with a 180 RA. <laughs> yeah, not too shabby. <laughs> so he struck out, so in his first game, he went five and uh, struck out, let's see, what's that, 11? No, that's not 11. He struck out seven. So five innings, seven Ks, and then and this is against rookies. Yeah. So this is against guys who just signed, guys who uh, just you know out of college this year and last year, or the Dominican uh, or the July signings last year, uh, and then he goes to Fort Wayne where guys have kind of been around for a little while and strikes out another uh, what was that nine? Good grief. Yeah. Uh, they also had some videos. So if you guys want to check out Fangraphs, look up the chat. Uh, I believe it's from July fourth. He posts some video of him pitching in uh, in rookie ball against uh, other Padre guys or kids, and he's just dirty. I mean, gets real good extension. Six foot eight, ninety three to ninety five. Yeah. By the way, I'll correct you before our our favorite listener, Drunk Flannery, corrects you. Mikel Baez, twenty one years old. Oh, excuse me, he I thought 18. he was only eighteen. Yeah. Um, Still, so he is. He can mistake. buy beer. He can buy a thirteen fifty beer if he can find where our podcast has been spliced together. Assuming um, it has been. Yes. Yeah. Assuming it has been. So. Yeah, but really exciting for 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 Mikel Baez. Just because I, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna fast track him. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean I mean the fact he's already in Fort Wayne after one start in rookie ball. Yeah. And I mean Preller already mentioned it. They've already promoted quite a few guys. Lauer, Lucchese, uh, Nix, Allen. Those guys have all been moved up um, very aggressively before the first half of the season's over. So I, I don't see why they wouldn't. And then you look at the other guys that they have. They're still kind of sort of under the radar. Reggie Lawson, Mason Thompson. Mm-hmm. These are other guys. Don't forget, Chris Paddock is still in the system. He's recovering from Tommy John. Yeah. The pitching line is just incredibly depth. And we're actually going to touch on all that depth in a little bit here. But I want to keep moving on through with all the good stuff going on in the first half for the system. Um, the July 2 signing is obviously going on right now. Yeah, but the Padres, they, they can't 
spend more than 300000 so they're probably not really going to sign anyone, right? No, well, I mean, if by not signing anybody, you mean signing about 30 kids. <laughs> 30. <laughs> yeah, 30 kids. So the way that – and I, I thought they'd change this, but maybe it doesn't kick in until next year. But the way – for those that may not know, the July 2 international free agent signings, you have a certain bonus pool each year that you can go up to. You have a certain allotment. If you go over that, you're penalized. Now, you can go over as much as you want for that one year. But the next year, you cannot sign any player for more than, I think it's 300 300000 300000 something like that, or 315 It's very limited. Um, obviously, the top talent signs for well way more than that. Yeah. Again, Morahone got 11. I think Onya got like 8 or 9. Yeah. Um, and don't correct me, Drunk Flannery. It was just a guess. But um, $7 million for Onya. Yeah. See? So, well, that's close. Uh, but uh, so you're obviously really limited when you do that and you go to the amount the Padres did where I think they spent what much did you remember how much they spent? Like seventy eight? Yeah, I think it, including uh including uh overage uh, overage taxes I or I think whatever. it was in the high seventies Yeah, spent. I mean they spent quite a bit of money and then they go into this year and I feel like a lot of teams aren't really active in the July two signing periods after they do like I don't feel like the Red Sox are active or the Yankees are active when they spent all that money. Preller's just like to hell with it. I'll just find these really raw kids who have like all kinds of tools, but they're really, really raw, like long shots. And I'll just hand six figures and call it a day. I think he said they signed the consensus number one left-handed pitcher out of Mexico. Yeah, they signed him for three hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, so yeah, they pulled that off. Mexico has some sort of loophole um, that I guess you can spend more on these guys. I don't know if it's unlimited. Weird. I don't know. Our pal Padres Jagoff has the uh, the the down low the, the info on on that, so um, you can check him out. But I'm not sure there's some sort of loophole in there that you can sign Mexicans for more money. Well, he can give me all the money he'd like, yeah. Mr. Preller. If you give me a Viking in my elbow is good for at least 80, 85 miles an hour. I've seen you pitch. No one's going to give you money. Hey, but you also saw me catch, and nobody would still give me any money. No, <laughs> no not at all. So, uh, but no, I mean, it's impressive that you know, the, I, I love the aggressiveness of this new organization. Yeah, you know, Fowler needs to stick a sock in it and maybe you know the ownership kind of needs to take a step back for a little while and maybe they can get somebody to cut promos for Preller because he kind of just talks into the ground <laughs> but I love the aggressiveness that they've taken the last year from a standpoint of like building up the farm and building the system from the ground up has been such an exciting time frame for a Padres fan because we have all these guys that we just got to the point to where guys who would probably be considered pretty good in our system, get overlooked. And I'm talking about, like, legit, you know, top five-round guys. I mean, you're talking about guys like Reggie Lawson and Mason Thompson. I mean, these guys had to be overpaid or uh, paid over their slot allotment when they were drafted to bring into the system. And we got this other guy, like, you know, Mikhail Bias, completely is bypassing them. I mean, right now, nobody, you know, he looks like the stud in Fort Wayne instead of those other two kids, Thompson and Lawson. Yeah. And then you got Maura Hone, who's over in Fort Wayne while you're at it. Tri-City. Yeah. He's in Tri-City. He's off to a great start. Yeah, he is. He's, He's doing good. I mean, this is a kid, you know, came right out of Cuba. God knows when he pitched competitively. He got a 3.79 ERA to this point. Uh, last I checked, 19 innings, 17 strikeouts. He's doing well. He's holding his own. He's not dominating, and you shouldn't expect everybody to go out there and dominate. But he's not doing anything that concerns you. He's holding his own. It's the same thing with Quantrill. You know, he's had some ups and downs and some struggles. It's been a while since he's pitched competitively. Uh, but he's doing well. 3.67 ERA, 76 strikeouts, and 73 and two-thirds. Quantrill's actually going to the Futures game. He's going to get a chance to go on that big stage, which 
based on any interview we've read with him and what Preller says. That's where uh, he wants to be. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he walks in there and kicks the door down and says, give me the ball. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, him and Naylor are representing uh Team Canada. Yeah. So that should be fun to watch. They'll also, be on the world team. Yeah. Also, oh yeah. Excuse me. And also the uh, rumor that's going around here, first reported from Change the Padres, uh, is that after the Futures game is when it's going to be announced that Cal Quantra will be moved up to Double A. So. I wouldn't doubt it. That rotation is going to be st- yeah. <laughs> stacked. So that that will be that will be interesting to see. That I'll be because he hasn't really tore up the Cal League really, but I feel like he's at a point where. Move them up. Yeah, I think with the numbers, like I said, you shouldn't scout the stat line. We scout it because I'm not a scout. I don't have video, and I don't know what to look for for things like that other than basics. But um, I I think there's other things going on, like, you know, he's doing what we want him to do. He's he's showing the progress we want him to see, so we'll go ahead and move him up. I mean, we saw uh, Logan Allen move up. He's done well. He's been with two teams this year. 89 strikeouts and 74 and a third. I think those are things you look at. The ERA is wonderful. I mean, he's he's got a two six or excuse me a one nine four ERA. But I think when you look at the stuff like strikeouts, walks, that looks great. Luke Casey's done really well. Joey Fuego, uh, 98 strikeouts and 84 innings. He's probably gonna strike out 150, 160 guys this year. Yeah. And I can see Luke Casey and Lauer both fast tracked to the majors to the point where I'm not gonna be surprised in a calendar year. If we're seeing them get a you know get a taste of the big leagues, if not a cup of coffee by next September, maybe not this September, but next September. Well, Lauer had a really good debut in Double A. Yeah, he threw very well very for well. for the missions with his first start there. So um, I'm happy to see that. I never got to see him at Elsinore, which kind of bumps me out. Um, but I did see Lucchese. Um I've been going to Elsinore a lot, so I saw a Lucchese start. His stuff. I don't know how he strikes out this many guys because he sits like 90, 91. He does have a funky delivery. He hides the ball well, um, but his secondary stuff didn't look that great. Maybe I just caught him on an off night. Quantrill, when I saw him, um, I saw Quantrill, you know, his he didn't have good command of the breaking ball at all that night, which again, could have been off night, whatever. Yeah. Um, his changeup was on fire that night. That was his out pitch. And he had kind of an average start. I mean, I, I, you would hope for better. Um, and then also this last Sunday, I went up to Elsinore to watch Logan Allen pitch. How's that? I wanted to watch his debut. He he looks like he's going to be really good. Um, the thing with him, he did look like he was kind of nervous, which I would expect that, and it didn't really bother me. I think he walked like four guys. Um, he looked like he was a little nervous. Everything was up in the zone, but his breaking ball looked nice. He had guys off balance. I really really think that once he gets settled in, he's he's going to be really good. Yeah, and I think that's the sleeper pick in that, that trade. Obviously, Margot, uh, the trade Kimbrell uh, going and Margot, Aswahe, uh, Guerra, and uh, uh, Allen were the ones coming over, and Logan Allen looked like the sleeper. You know, Guerra was the one with the ton, you know, a lot of potential ton of tools. Uh, Aswahe was the one with the high floor, low ceiling. Margot was another guy who's, you know, real toolsy, possible four to five tool player, and then there's this kid Logan Allen who came, you know, he's basically, I mean, he's like 19 when they got him out of I, drafted out of IMG Academy, along with uh, his new teammate J, Jacob Nix, who's also doing really well, and you know, he's just kind of this lefty young kid, and and he's he's dominating. Yeah, he's just dominating. So, I mean, the pitching depth is just so deep, and I mean, that's going to move. Me. And we've got some other. Obviously, we know about Luis Urias. We've you know we've given him enough uh, enough attention. I mean, yeah. he, may, he owes us dinner at this point. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, and obviously Fernando Tatis Jr., who we've uh, 
we've talked about uh, ad nauseum as well. But that leads me into my uh, the next thing we wanted to go over that we touched on uh, when we started prepping for the show is they have so many prospects. And, and the goal is in your system to not only create a pipeline of prospects to basically do what the Red Sox have done. Create a pipeline of players where you can just constantly plug guys in when other guys go down. Or you can use them as currency when the time comes for Exactly. So you can take a pack and say, you know what, we need an elite you know, high leverage bullpen arm. We need a Craig Kimbrell. I have a package of players I can trade to get that. We need Chris Sale. We have prospects we can get to get Chris Sale. So at some point here, the Padres, if everything works out the way that you're hoping and these guys come up and the Padres are competitive and they're good and they're competing and they're, you know, looking to get into the playoffs and get, you know, into the World Series, which is the ultimate goal, there's not going to be enough room for all these guys. No. So they're going to have to start trading some guys. So that makes me want to ask, do you see any of these prospects as untouchable? And if so, which ones? Well, here's the way I look at it. So just looking purely, I think obviously our strength in the minors is the pitching. That's clearly our strength right now. And I'll rattle off. I have no notes in front of me, as I never do. Per usual. I'll rattle off off the top of my head. Quantrill, Lucchese, Lauer. Allen, Lawson, Thompson, Gore, Baez. Oh, I forgot about Gore. <laughs> Osvaldo Hernandez, uh, lefty that they signed out of Cuba. All of these guys, and that's just off the top of my head. We have all those pitchers. They can't all throw at the same time. You're going to have to trade some of these guys. As far as Espinoza also. I forgot about him, but that's probably because he's... Yeah, thrown all year. Yeah, Paddock. Okay, so all these guys, out of the pitching out of the pitching prospects that we have, if I had to go untouchables, I, I, think, I think we can exclude Gore from this because I don't think that he's in any immediate danger of being traded. No, as are none <laughs> I, of these guys yeah, are. Yeah, I don't think so. But if I had to pick an untouchable on the pitching staff, if I had to pick a couple, honestly, I'm really excited for Mason Thompson. I really feel like he's going to be good. So Thompson would be up there. Morahone would be up there, who I didn't mention just now when I'm rattling off all these guys. I think Morahone, I really like Thompson. I would say that... I don't know. I would listen on Quantrill. I would listen. What about you? So, so for me, the way I look at it is... And everything, it all sticks to me what Logan White would say when they asked him about like his philosophy on drafting and acquiring players. Like, I want superstars. I look at certain players and I try to think, like, what can they be and what position are they at? So for me, the first guy that came to mind when you asked me who would you deem untouchable as a prospect is something that we don't have a lot of, and that's a shortstop. So the first guy I would have thought of that I thought of that popped into my head was Tatis Jr. Yeah. Because we do not – I mean, we have tons of pitching depth. I mean, tons of guys who look like they're going to be anywhere from – at. at best number ones, which is what Quantrill could be, Espinosa, Morajone. Those guys are, you know, they're, they're ceiling if everything works out. These guys are staff aces. Um, what we don't have a lot of, and they and, and to Preller's credit, he has tried to stock the system. Um, you know, getting Javier Guerra was obviously a move towards that, even though it hasn't panned out to this point. Uh, they signed a number of shortstops out of uh, Latin America, but the first guy I thought of was Tatis Jr. because he has all the tools, plus arm, good footwork, good glove, could stick it short, can hit, will hit for power, will have some kind of speed for a guy's frame. You know, Keith Law the other day in the chat said maybe he's not Manny Machado, but he mimics a lot of what Machado did as a prospect. 
So, and there's a chance that he could stay at short because Machado was always thought to go to third until they figured out, well, never mind, he's elite. He can stay at short. He just happened to move. So for me, that player, because it's so rare to have that kind of talent and the Padres have been so devoid of it, that's the first guy I would tell people, don't ask. I'm not trading Tatis. Don't ask. Yeah, and it's kind of funny we got him for Shields. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you there. So I, I do think he's untouchable and sticking up the middle. Obviously, I've made no – I it's no secret I love Urias. Urias is absolutely untouchable for me, him and Tatis up the middle. See, with Urias – Urias, I'm not looking to move. I'm not throwing him out there. I'm not throwing him out there. But I would be willing to listen because I do feel like playing second base. Second base is a lot more prolific offensively than people realize. I mean, it's not it's not the you know the Lou Whitaker days where or you know where you had to be a solid hitter with great defense and you can get through. Like you know Harold Reynolds was an everyday second baseman in his day. Today's day and age, he wouldn't be a starter at all. He'd be a utility guy off the bench. It just wouldn't. The, the position has evolved over time. When you got guys like Kipnis and have you looked up uh, uh, Scopes numbers from Baltimore? No. He's got like, oh my, I think he's got 20 plus home runs. And you get Kipnis as another guy who can hit. So 400 on base isn't prolific enough for you? It's not that it's not prolific. It's just that I would not be open to trading him, but I would be open open to listening. Just because I feel like. Well, you got to listen on anyone. Well, no, there's, there's some guys I wouldn't listen on. I mean, I, you, obviously you let anybody kick the tires, but I would be, depending on what you're getting back, I'd be more open to trade. Urias than Tatis Jr. and a number of other guys. The other thing I look at is, like you said, like I look at you know like a Quantrill. I'd be hesitant to trade Quantrill only because he's really close. I mean, yeah, he's in single A. He'll probably be in double A here in a couple of weeks. But after that, he's probably going to be in double A again next year for at least a couple of months, depending on how he does. And then he'll be in triple A. And then he's probably up in 2019. This is a guy who projects, who who is projected to be the number one overall pick had he not blown his elbow out and is now being looked at as the best pick in the draft once he's actually got healthy and got back on the mound who looks like he could be a staff ace. That's not the type of guy who's going to come up around the time where I think this team is going to start to turn around that I would want to trade. The same thing with uh, you know Espinoza. Espinoza, when he was traded here, Padre fans, because they didn't know what they were talking about, we're pissed that we only got one guy for Pomerantz. But when you looked around, you know, league consensus from all the scouts, all the you know the the news outlets or the sports outlet uh, sport outlets uh, from you know within the game, everybody consensus was the Padres hosed the Red Sox on that trade because they just took a kid who could be a, a potential ace for a Pomerantz who can barely crack the rotation. And then you look at Morahone, the same thing. He has that high upside, high ceiling. Those are guys where I would not. I would. You always listen. But those are guys where I deem to myself, unless I'm just blown away. Like, unless I'm getting Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or Mike Trout. Like, those are the guys that I'm going to be really hard-pressed to even think about moving, let alone just, you know, open to trading. Um, I'd be more open for, like, a Lucchese or a Lauer. Those are guys, maybe even an Logan Allen, where I'm a little bit more willing to, you know, package them in a deal to get a player I'd need now. Yeah, for me, it's just we have so much pitching that I'm willing to take the risk of getting rid of, of one or two of those guys. Yeah, and I and I could see that. I, I do think you should be careful, though, with the pitching because it's not an easy commodity. We've seen what happened with the Mets. You and I were talking the other day uh, about how we could see the Padres being in a situation like the Mets yeah. where they have so much pitching, but we've seen the Mets just get depleted because pitching is volatile, even starting pitch. I mean, you know, Matt Harvey, you know, Matt Harvey's – as John Hart would say, 
this is how you, you know, this is how you think of him, you know, or the, this is what they're supposed to look like. You know, he looks like a big innings eater and his body can take, you know, the pounding, but, and then he breaks down and then DeGrom breaks down and then Wheeler breaks down and then Mets breaks down. And now they're, you know, all their depth is gone. They traded Michael Fulmer uh, for Cespedes, which really worked out for the half season uh, that they got back with Cespedes. But you can see that trading pitching and trading a lot of their, their, their depth has handicapped them because now they have nothing to draw from. I'd be afraid to trade so much pitching. That's why I'm more open to like uh, Urias, who I think is going to be great. I, I love I love Luis Urias. I think he's going to be wonderful here. I think he's a great fit for the city because he's from Mexico and there's that connection. But I'm more open to trading him uh, than I would be a Cal Quantrill or an Espinosa or Morajon or even a, maybe not so much a Logan Allen, you know, kind of that next tier. But but those three guys, or maybe those three guys. Well, I feel like position players, they don't have a whole lot of strong bats in the minors. So for me, Tatis, Urias, and I would even throw Onya in there as untouchables. Really, because with Onya, we've we've seen him so far this year, but I've, a part of me still feels like we don't know what we have there. Yeah, yet. and I'd be I and I would agree with you. I'd be real hesitant to move him because you don't know exactly what you have, so you might be underselling. But again, it's going to come down to where, where they're at and what they have in the outfield. Who knows? Frenchy Cordero could, I mean, he's he got sent back down, but, you know, he could work out, and you could be, they could be, you know, we're okay with having him out there. He's a little bit more versatile uh, than an Onya, so we'll trade him to get that one pitching piece we need, or maybe we need a third baseman or something along those lines, so it's just going to come down to, you know, what they need at the time, but I am more open to moving a position player than I am a... Uh, a pitcher. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that that's the thing that we have to remember because I feel like we're so focused on the future coming up that I feel like we're starting to fall in love with some of these prospects, and there's going to come a point where they have to be traded. Well, let me tell you, I fell in love with Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, and I can't tell you how upset I was when they traded him. Oh yeah. Well, not when they traded him, more when they acquired the package from Cincinnati. But yeah, you're right. Uh, you get attached to these guys, but you have to understand and. and it's, it is a business. The idea is to build up as much talent as you can so you can do both. Because the Red Sox are doing it now. They got a kid that's going to be coming up for them at some point. They traded Moncada, not because they didn't think Moncada was going to be good enough, but because they got another kid named Rafael Devers who can play third base. And they figured, well, we got these two studs, so we can trade one of them to get the guy we want in Chris Sale. To me, yeah, you look at that and think, oh, you know, that's a bad trade. But not really. They got the best left-handed pitcher in the American League. They got Clayton Kershaw AL who's not quite as good, but that's, that's you know, he's the best lefty in the American League. Is there anybody better than Chris Sale? No. Left-handed? No, absolutely not. I mean, so they got that, but they still have a deep enough system where they're still pulling up guys like Ben Attendee and Betts, and then they got the Devers kid, and Bogarts is already there. They have so much, so much depth that they can make a move like that. I mean, Dombrowski's really depleted the farm system, but they still have tons and tons of talent. That kid they picked up last year was a groom. Yeah. Yeah, they got him too. So, I mean, they have so much depth, and that's the position I want the Potters to be in where, yeah, we're going to fall in love with these prospects. It's going to happen. When you trade prospects, people get upset. But at least get to a position where we have enough to continue funneling into the system, and we can be like, yeah, it sucks to give up Urias, but we're getting this stud pitcher back. Also, at the same time, as as much as I gave him shit before the season, Naylor's had a good year. Naylor has put up a very solid year. And yeah. if he continues this throughout the rest of the year, say he goes up to double A next year and he does very well in double A, 
you never know, man. It's going to come to the point where they might think about trading Myers. Here's my thing Naylor on that. Gets to the gets to that point. Sure. And, if and, Myers gets his war up, because I don't know any team that would want him with his current war, <laughs> because his war is not that great. More like wins below replacement. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, here's here's how I look at that situation, and you know how I am. I like to evaluate the whole. Like, what does a player bring? And that's why, like. Do you want a guy like Cabrera who, once you take the bat out of his hands, he has no value, he just hits? Or do you want a guy like Mike Trout who does it all? So when I look at that, I can see two scenarios with Naylor. Somebody blows Preller's socks off or just blows Preller in general, and he trades Myers for this massive prospect package. Yeah. Because people people are complaining about Myers. He only makes $4.5 million. Yeah. <laughs> He's not making a lot for the next three seasons. He doesn't get expensive until, what was that, 2020, I think. And $22 million by that point is chump change. Yeah. You know, you got Justin Turner making like $16 million, which is a steal. And I think Daniel Murphy makes the same. But 15 to $20 million now is your, you know, above average to all-star caliber player now. And then your elite guys are getting 25 to 30. So he's not really making that much money even when the big money, quote-unquote, kicks in. So I think one of two things happens. Preller gets a great package of prospects that he just cannot pass up and he just gets like I'm getting or he gets that one for one deal and I can't pass it up or he realizes you know because Naylor's thing is he has to hit to have value Myers can Myers can provide defense Myers can run the bases he can hit so he has more versatility from a value standpoint than a Naylor Naylor has to hit to have value so I can honestly see Preller using Naylor the same way that uh, the uh, Cubs used their their DH only type of guy, Vogelback, to go out and trade to get a, suck, a, a second piece or another piece to add to a playoff team. I think they got Mike Montgomery for for Vogelback. Am I correct on that? I believe so. I yeah. think, so. and that's panned out wonderfully for at least for the Cubs. So that's what I see Naylor as. I see him as a future trade piece because he's so limited in what he can do. He's a first base by default. Uh, or he's at first by default because he's just big guy who can't play anywhere else. I think they, I think he's the type of guy, him, a Luke Casey, where they package him and maybe one real good prospect uh, to get like a big, a big, you know, superstar player in here. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. But I'm more willing at this point than I was at the beginning of the season to give. Um, to give Naylor some slack to see what he can do yeah. at this point. I mean, he's, he's been impressive. He's, it. he's been impressive. He's, he's going to the Futures game. He's been good. Yeah, he's he's earned it. And so. we got him for Andrew Kasher. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in Preller, I trust. Yeah, I do trust for sure. And it's it's kind of ironic that the Padres got shit on for the whole medical thing. Which, by the way, so we got Paddock back in a trade from the Marlins. Blew his arm out. Blew his arm out. Hasn't thrown this year. We got Espinosa back from the Red Sox. Hasn't thrown all year. So we traded for Colin Ray, and he blew his arm. Oh. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. So how's that working out? Yeah. For all the shit the Padres got, Jesus Christ, they got fucked. You know what it is? And somebody touched on this. Like, probably most teams probably do it. The Padres just happened to got caught. Yeah. That's all it was. They just happened to have gotten caught. Oh, well. But uh, speaking of getting caught, uh, we have uh, caught the end of the show. Uh, We are out of time. Awful. Yes, that was terrible. I know. I I tried my best. It's 1 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. Yeah. Because we're still uh, taping at night. The fact we have this much energy is amazing. Uh, But that'll be the end of the show. Uh, so if Eric, you want to drop all the Twitter handle stuff? Yeah, sure. So find me on Twitter at miserable sd fan. Uh, find Danny on Twitter at 
Oh, 5.5 Dan. At 5.5 Dan. Find us at americasfinestdigital.com. Also, one thing that I wanted to throw out and let you guys know, and I haven't even told Danny this, next week, all-star break, no show next week. There's not going to be jack shit to talk about. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, we'll check in with you guys in about two weeks. Uh, until then, um, we'll see you later. We're out of here.